Welcome to the ACAS podcast. I'm Sarah Guthrie, part of the communications team here at ACAS, and today I'm joined by Abigail Hirschman, who is Head of Workplace Wellbeing and Mental Health at ACAS. Thanks for joining me today, Abigail. Pleasure, always, to speak to you, Sarah. So today we're focusing on mental health, uh, particularly how we can support the mental health of people who are juggling caring responsibilities and work. So if you're looking after children or other relatives during this period of lockdown, we've learned recently that schools are not opening fully until September. So I wondered if you could start off by saying what are the main challenges in relation to well-being for people who are juggling childcare and other caring responsibilities while working? Yeah, yes, absolutely. So that is quite a big question, though, isn't it, really? Because I think even just hearing that message a couple of weeks ago about the fact that schools aren't opening as parents had anticipated will have had an impact on people, will have made them think, oh, my Lord, you know, something they'd expected maybe a bit of relief for a period of time. There is now a longer stretch. So it's really about how workplaces can think about how can they continue to support the employees to work knowing that they're going to be continually caring for children? So the well-being impacts of this is not static. It will have gone up and down over the period. And it may have been at the beginning that people may have thought, well, actually, this is quite nice. I'm getting to spend some more time at home with my children. But as I said, as this has gone on, I think there have been um, further challenges for people. But I suppose what I was thinking about when we decided we were going to talk about this was whether it's worth just rewinding a little bit. Um, so if we think, say, back to maybe February, OK, so February of this year. So think maybe you're care of two small children and they go to school or nursery. And then someone says to you, for the next six months, we need you to do your job from home. And you may think, great, you know, no more commuting, no more business suits, no more high heels. That's fantastic. But then at the same time, your manager or your employer says to you, well, actually, all schools and nurseries are going to close as well. So you're going to have to look after your small children whilst you work. And that's essentially what happened to people, that this information was given to them. It wasn't the employer's fault or the manager's fault, but this information was suddenly given to a whole group of people in the workplace that very quickly they had to suddenly understand that basically the world of work and the world of parenting became entirely combined. So I think what people had to do was to adapt really, really quickly. And I think from a positive perspective, we can say that employers have really benefited from a workforce that's met that challenge, you know, and continue to adapt. But as I said, there are going to be lots of peaks and troughs to that challenge. And it's how the employer and the manager and the individual navigate those different um, rises and falls as we carry on through this period. Mm, yeah, that's really interesting. I wondered if you could maybe unpack a bit more of the impact if we employers, line managers or individuals do nothing about this. <laughs> right. OK, that is an interesting question. So. As I said, you're now you put I always like to put myself in the heads of people who are in this experience or having this experience. I have got children at home, but they're a bit older. They're teenagers. And I think the challenges for parents with teenagers is different for parents of uh, small children. So I think we have to recognize um, as an employer that we have people with different um, you know, family setups. So the employer that does nothing, that ignores essentially that this person is doing their job whilst managing teenagers, young children, whatever it is, 
it's it's going to have massive consequences, isn't it? It's about um, that person is basically going to feel uh, not recognised and not understood for the challenges that that's arising. And lack of recognition and lack of being understood by your employer does have a massive impact on well-being and has an impact on motivation. So let's hope that there aren't many employers out there who are, are doing nothing. But I think what employers are grappling with is what is the thing that we can do? Because those employers, again, like the parents and the, you know, the mothers and the fathers and the carers had to adapt very quickly. Employers have had to adapt very quickly. They've had to think about what can we do to continue to meet the business demands, given the fact that my business has moved to a totally different location and distributed location. But equally, how can we continue to uh, adapt? What can we do as a business to adapt? So it's understandable that employers may not have been thinking about, you know, John and his two small kids or, you know, or Sarah and her two small children they're thinking about the business. So how can they have those conversations and understand what the challenges are for the people who are looking after small children? Those conversations have to happen. Following on from that, what do you think are the main mistakes that employers are making when they're having those conversations with their staff? What would we have done differently with hindsight? And I think it's about having those conversations about what's realistic. What is realistic for that person to be able to do, given they've also got these other priorities and demands? And how is the individual going to manage those different challenges? So it's not just all on the employer to give them uh, a whole host of, you know, um, sort of reductions or changes or adaptations. It's about them working with the employee to understand how that person can continue to do their job whilst managing the children at home. And you just said it's not all on the employer there. In ACAS, when we're talking about mental health generally, we talk about how it's a shared responsibility between line managers, individuals and employers. On this issue specifically of supporting people when they're juggling, could you just outline what those different responsibilities look like for each of those players involved. Yeah, absolutely. So essentially, um, the employer will have made a decision. And this is this happened pre-pandemic. This isn't something new. An employer makes a decision, say, to take on a new project or to you know do something different in the workplace. That is going to have people impacts. So the employer has to have responsibility for thinking, well, I've got five people in my team that are going to have to do this. So ordinarily, they'd have had five people in their team who they knew worked, you know, a collective amount of hours. They may still have those five people in their team, but those collective hours are going to be different. They're not going to be uh, maybe in the same nine to five space. So it's about the manager, the employer thinking, well, okay, this is the end goal that I need to get to in order to reach, you know, complete that project. These are the amount of hours I'm going to need to get to finish that project. And I know I'm, I'm being quite simplistic, but it's really breaking it down and thinking what are going to be the demands on those five people to complete that. And of those demands, I know that two of them have got additional um, home life demands. So this is what the employer needs to achieve. The employer then needs to make sure that the manager is entirely aware of what those project outputs are. What does the manager need to, on a daily transactional basis, work with the employee, their employees, their staff to fulfill those uh, the demands of that project? And then the manager has to have those very honest and open conversations with people in the team. And it's about a team approach. And this is where it gets quite complicated because you will have a team where you'll have people who are managing children or managing children as if you can ever manage children, be 
know what I mean, who are looking after their children and people who aren't. So how do the people who aren't looking after children don't feel that they're taking the uh, the load? And how do people who um, have got the children don't feel too guilty? So these are complex situations. But at the first point, it's about what do we need to achieve? Who are the people that I've got in my team to achieve that and how are we going to do it? So it's a combination of quite compassionate leadership, understanding leadership, but also quite transactional management, thinking about what are the things I need to get done. Mm, So seeing how all of those different players fit together and as an employer thinking about what are the downstream effects of the decisions that you make as a manager working out how to support your individuals uh, that you're working with and as an individual being able to give feedback and show what you are actually able to do at the moment. Um, We've been talking about children and I just wanted to acknowledge that for a lot of people it's not necessarily children, it's adults with health conditions or older relatives. Is there anything that's particular to that group of people that would help them have the conversation with their employers? I think what one of the things that we sort of recommend or we talk about is sometimes rehearsing that conversation or writing it down, doing a script. So people aren't necessarily confident about having these discussions because these are new conversations they've had to have. They may have to, uh, their employer may have to know about stuff that they didn't actually have any awareness of before. And not that that's right, but actually these th- these conversations have suddenly gone on fast forward. So I always think about it, it's a bit like a time lapse video. That's how it feels like with the pandemic. So things are happening very quickly at speed that maybe in the past you know wouldn't have ever come up or would have taken a long time but all of these things are about what are the demands and challenges that people in my workplace have and how does that affect their um, ability their opportunity and their time to be able to do the job that I need them to do so regardless of the uh, demand that they have it's how that affects their role and how they can discuss it with their uh, managers. And as I said, sometimes rehearsing those conversations, thinking about how the employer or the manager might respond to some of the things you're raising is is worth doing. And also sometimes writing down what you plan to do as an individual. You recognise that this uh, this is your job and you recognise your employer is supportive. But sometimes being able to say, well, one of some of the things I might be able to do. So one employer I was talking to recently, they negotiated with some of their staff who had um, additional responsibilities about thinking about the difference between their work that was quite heavy on the the brain you know so they're real thinking work that they needed to do and the work that was a little bit more you know um easy to do so sort of diary entries or answering emails or those more sort of prosaic uh, workplace tasks that we have to do so working with the employers at which time maybe for them they were able to do the more heavy thinking stuff and when they could do the more uh, light touch stuff and then how that then impacted back on the work outputs and the work team so actually taking the time to think through in detail not just the tasks that need to be done but also how you're going to do them and how that will affect your own well-being and the well-being of of the other people and colleagues and teams around you. Yeah, a thing that's come up time and time again, and this has been in our conversation, Sarah, and lots of conversations I've had with employers, is about boundaries. And boundaries are sort of, you know, a, a thing that employers and managers and individuals can all really, really benefit from using. And I don't think I'm seeing probably quite enough of that. So what I'm what I'm seeing is I'm seeing you've got employers who are really flexible, who do the well-being stuff. You know, they would win awards in well-being because they're so fantastic at it. But actually, sometimes those employers and managers find it harder to put in some lines 
with employees. And that may be a line as in, I need you to switch off. I understand you're really dedicated and you really want to work, but I need you to switch off at this time. And I'm going to make sure that we have conversations that enable that. Or you get the employer who's so flexible and wanting to be so supportive. Oh, it's fine. You know, just do what you can. You know, we trust you. We really you know, value you. And that's all great. Please don't think that. I'm not saying that's not a good thing. But the employee doesn't really know where they are because what's happened is the, they feel sort of so committed and so um, – uh, not grateful, that's probably not the right word, but so, you know, so engaged with the employer that they think, oh, well, I'll just do that bit extra because actually they really are trusting me. And what the employer then does, because they haven't put in clear guidelines and boundaries, as in I won't contact you after three o'clock because I know that's when you're feeding the children or, or whatever it is, they then put in those extra things. Oh, actually, can you just fill out that report for me? I know you don't work those extra hours, but would you just mind doing that? And the employee feels responsible for then going oh okay then and then it all starts to go horribly wrong so putting in boundaries and expectations about what you have and reviewing these is don't need to be static and one-offs is really really important and then the other thing on boundaries which um, I just want to highlight and I understand that a lot of people who are going to be working at home with children are going to be in different family groups who have single parents you know blended families different relationships. But what some research has shown recently is that we have a default parent. So we have a parent who is the one that the child is most likely to come and interrupt when that parent's doing their work. So it's not that the other parent doesn't do lots of other domestic stuff, but it's about that interrupted work time. So what I'm finding with some um, discussions with family, friends and people is that some of the couples are really negotiating the boundaries between them and how one parent takes time and that's unprotected, that's protected time. This is when I'm going to be working at my computer and you mustn't interrupt me. In those situations, you need to go to the other parent. And I understand there isn't always another parent to go to, but it's just trying to make those boundaries at home as well as at work. Yeah. And actually, that brings out what you were saying earlier, that Although at ACAS we focus on the workplace, we know that we are whole people. We don't leave ourselves when we go to work. And that has particularly come out in this pandemic when we can't leave our homes. And so we have to be our home self and our work self in the same place. Yes, absolutely. And I think, sorry, I'm getting excited here because I think there's a real, there's a real benefit to this situation. And it's really humanising people you know uh we come into the workplace as sort of like a fully formed person nobody saw us that morning sort of like spooning cereal into the kids mouths you know or sort of like balancing and all the things that we have to do as, as a parent you know sort of like um all of the challenges, packed lunches and all those different things. And then we come into the office and we sort of got our game face on and we're ready to go. But what this has shown is actually there are skills and qualities that we bring into the workplace that are actually really beneficial. And I was on the phone to, uh, I was on a team call with my, uh, the team that I work with and my manager. And um, we were on the call. And whilst we we're having the call, there was like a little knock at the door. I don't even know there was a knock actually. This little person walked into the room, um, a very, very adorable looking two-year-old. And she came to bring her daddy some crisps and she got on her lap and I got a little bit um, broody as I do because I do like uh, young young children and we were all like going oh isn't she cute isn't she lovely but what it did it did two things it sort of showed us a window into our manager's world that maybe we weren't aware of before and it also made us think as team as individuals oh actually so when I'm contacting him at eight o'clock at night because I'm, I don't have that additional responsibility is he actually able to respond to me so it it humanises the people you work with and makes you understand in a very quick way 
what they've got going on for them. So please don't, um, to employers, to managers, to individuals, please don't, you know, <laughs> keep your children locked in another room when you're on workplace calls. Maybe it's not always going to be appropriate. There are going to be some professions when actually, you know, it would not work well. But actually, equally, it does, as I said, humanise those relationships and help you understand things from the other person's perspective and see what they've got going on. Thanks, Abigail. That's all really valuable advice. For our listeners who might be listening to this thinking, there's no way my manager would deal with a conversation like that well or I just don't want to admit that I'm struggling because I want to be competent and my manager relies on my competence. What would you say to those people who are really actually dreading having a conversation about this and so avoid it entirely? I think the first point I want is to recognise that this is a reality, that this is a reality for people who are in a situation where maybe they don't feel their jobs are secure. They may have seen colleagues furloughed. They may be an organisation that maybe is facing redundancy. So in that climate, it is even harder for people who uh, to admit or to acknowledge or to express that maybe they are finding the workload too challenging or too demanding given their other um, responsibilities at home. I was I was talking to a business yesterday and they are uh, a company that has chargeable time because of the jobs that they do. And the expectation is still on all of the employees that they still do the same amount of chargeable time that they did prior to the pandemic. Some of these will have children at home, some of them won't. And even if you haven't got uh, responsibilities at home, we all know that we know that people are, are challenged, um, you know, from a mental capacity at the moment. So I think that is a, a risky strategy for a business to take. So that's my sort of first point is just think about the longer term impacts of these decisions you're making at the moment. You are possibly going to be a workplace that's going to have less people in it as you go forward because you may have to do cost cutting measures. We understand that. So the people that you have in your workplace is about keeping them as healthy and as well now for the future. So that's sort of the, the bigger picture answer. But in terms of the individual who doesn't feel able to uh, disclose or to talk about something with their employer, as I said, I completely understand that. But they also have a responsibility to look after themselves and to think about what is possible. What can I actually do? And what do I need to change? What do I need that's differently uh, given to me differently so that I can keep my work responsibilities going whilst absolutely not making myself unwell. It's about rehearsing. It's about writing down a list. It's about thinking, what do I need to get from this conversation? Do I want just somebody to listen, to understand that actually this is a struggle? Do I want some practical changes to my workload? Is it about taking my leave differently? Is it taking half days or working slightly different adjusted hours? So there are lots of different practical routes that an employee can do. And if you have a list of options in front of you and shown that you've thought about it, even the most unresponsive manager would be able to, to work with that because it would be something that would be practical and tangible for them to, to work with. Thank you, Abigail. That's really important advice. Just to finish off, what would be your one takeaway that you wish we could remember from this podcast? Gosh, Sarah, one takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> I know, <laughs> me. You know, that's very challenging for me. Know the challenges that your staff are facing. Understand the demands they have on them. Work with them to negotiate a different way that they may be able to meet those demands. Help them understand what the challenges are of the business. So be as open and as um, 
authentic and as available as you can about the challenges within the business, the challenges for managers and work together collectively in order to meet those. Thank you, Abigail. That is a brilliant note to end on. You've been listening to the ACAST podcast. We've put some useful links on mental health and homeworking in the session notes for this episode, or you can visit our website at acast.org.uk. Thanks for listening.